Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast with your host, Evan McElwain. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm Evan McElwain, Bowery Capital's Director of Growth. And this week, we are joined by a very special guest, Sam Panday, to talk about selling to the U.S. government and what that startup strategy looks like. So Sam is an Army officer who's in charge of tech innovation scouting as part of the 75th Innovation Command. And he's also an MBA student at Georgetown. In the past, he's also worked with us here at Bowery as a fellow. So Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Evan. Really appreciate it. Tell us about you and, and your background. Yeah, so um, I guess in my my military life, I, I work as an Army officer for the 75th Innovation Command. And just kind of for perspective, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and I'm assuming also the Coast Guard, and definitely Space Force now, they all have innovation teams, which are mainly in charge of scouting and finding the most relevant tech to their mission. And in all of them working in conjunction, they come together and utilize this new technology to help forward the mission of the United States for it to be a competitor on the global stage, as well as to fix internal issues and make us more efficient as an organization. So for the 75th Innovation Command, it's a reserve command. I'm an Army reservist, and we support Army Futures Command in the sense that I'm a tech scout where I look just kind of like a VC. I do due diligence. I look at different tech companies that I think are a good fit with the Army's mission and then start interviewing the founders, talking with them a little bit, and then asking them a little bit more about, are you interested in pursuing some government funding or selling to the government? And more specifically, can we trial test some of the technology? And there's a lot of legalities to it, but that's in a nutshell, kind of my goal. Got it. And before we kind of dive in, Sam, one thing we always like to ask is, what is one thing that no one listening to this podcast will know about you? I think one thing that no one would know is I really like to act. I have been in a couple stage productions. I went to school at UC Santa Barbara in California, and it's just a passion of mine. And in my hobby right now, I'm just working on a screenplay. Very, very low key, low key, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a hobby, especially since we're indoors nowadays and have to access some creative juices. That's that's really cool. So to kick us off here, Sam, tell us a little bit about the different paths a company can take when interacting with with the government. Yeah, so I see two main paths. And again, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not a subject matter expert on this, but from my experience working with some companies, the first path is kind of, well, we'll talk about it later in the podcast, which is the SBIR, which is the Small Business Innovation Research Grant provided by the government that has tiered stages. And that's where the government solicits a need, an RFI, RFP for a specific type of project that they don't have the R&D capacity to produce, or they don't have the resources to hit it, or they're looking for some unique access to market. And they, they put out announcements because they're looking for this specific type of tech or innovation. So that's one route. And that's mainly access to funding. And we'll, we'll cover more of that later. The other route is direct to sale. And that's where you're approaching the federal government as well as state and local governments. I think recently in the past decade, and I, I worked for the mayor's office in San Francisco a few years ago, but I was part of their civic innovation office. They did a lot of innovation work. They had partners that are startups. And even one of the officers in my unit, Major Jordan Sun, he the chief innovation officer of San Jose, and he does a lot of partnerships with startups. And there's a kind of a revenue sharing agreement there with public and private partnerships. But the direct to sale is you're approaching the government as a partner. You're trying to sell to them. There, there may be, if you're a service-based company or service-based startup, there may be continuous um, utility upgrades and a working partnership that you'll have to help because the government is very draconian, in my opinion, and a lot of red tape. And that's one avenue. But in the federal side, it, it's 
it's a little bit longer of a sales process and a longer of a sales pipeline. But in, in a nutshell, again, it's the SBIR and a direct-to-sale method as the main two engagements I see when interacting with the government. Got it. And so if, if I'm trying to distill this down, it sounds like, okay, direct sale, that makes sense. It's treating them as if they were just any other prospect, except they're exactly. a really big one yeah. <laughs> where it's going to take longer. There's going to be more red red tape per yeah. se. And then it sounds like SBIR is almost like a little bit of a hybrid, but it's it's almost more of like a fundraising vehicle as well as them being a, the government being a potential client. Exactly. Yeah. And there's some unique aspects and I'm not a lawyer, so there's some unique as- aspects for the government licensing your tech and utilizing it. And there's a lot of compliance, but I know at least through my experience, and this is not a broad statement, SBIR is a little bit easier in terms of bridging those relationships. When you're going, you know, you're trying to bring a prospect in, you're nurturing them and you're going to do a POC from working for a cybersecurity company in Mountain View as a salesman and talking to government clients, that pipeline was really long and it was like sprinkled with compliance issues, licensing issues. And it was, we hit a lot of roadblocks, but the SBIR is a little bit of an easier ride, in my opinion. That sounds great. So let's, let's dig in a little bit further. So let's let's start with SBIR. Tell us more about it. What really just kind of, what is it? Who should be considering it? Maybe we can start getting into the process a little bit more as well. Yeah, sure. So let me let me just do a, a macro uh, step back into a macro perspective of what SBIR is. So perfect. The, the SBIR provides roughly three billion dollars of government funding as of 2020, and that's spread across a lot of different companies and organizations. And an SBIR is a kind of I'd like to see of it as a way for the government to both test out and see if there's a partnership possibility with working with new and innovative tech. They've submitted a problem that they cannot reach in terms of their R and D. They have a need for this. They're trying to be more efficient and they're looking for the private market to an innovative and entrepreneurial market to kind of help. And they provide basically dollars for product development and your operations. There's no equity lost in the sense that you don't have to give up any equity with this. And also there's a huge benefit in terms of working with the government from a marketing perspective. So there's that as well. Another thing is that SBAR cash is non-dilutive. So you don't have to worry about any dilution occurring in later rounds, or I shouldn't even call it a round because this is kind of its own thing. And in terms of SBIR, what I like to see, or I have seen successful companies do is they built out commercial applications for their MVP, for their product. They know they want to develop it and have a G2C strategy for the commercial market. But let's say founders are looking to dip in to get some extra revenue for their next build or product add-on and they're looking to expand that, SBIR is a great way. Additionally, a benefit is, oh, I want some more intros and I want some, let's say, from a sales perspective, champions who will rally for me. SBIR is a great way to have introductions the right way versus going cold. And that's another benefit to them. So that's kind of in a big picture what SBIR is. The likelihood of closing an SBIR, however, is thin. It's, It's hard to close it because you're trying to you're trying to fit your MVP into a bullseye target of what the government needs. And the government agency wants to use it for a specific organization. They want the license later on, if they once they test it and they do the phase one, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but they want to use it for a specific mission, whether it's for the National Science Foundation, NSF, or others, or if it's a military application, they want to use that. And they won't maintain the licensing for it. So I know that some entrepreneurs worry, like, how is the government going to use it? At least from my understanding, and again, I could be wrong on this, but I know that the government can't really share any IP for at least 20 years, and that becomes a consideration. 
as well. But th- that's from a very macro perspective, what it is. And so when you think about the types of company profiles that where SBIR is a great potential route for them, you've yeah. already touched on some of this, right? You mentioned like the timeline's long, the chances are thin, given they've already got a pretty specific application in mind that they're looking for. And these are comp- these are startups, it sounds like typically already have a pretty solid foundation for their business in terms of revenue that, that are coming from just more traditional corporates. And this is a potential new revenue stream for them and, and potentially a new kind of product application. It sounds like that's kind of one attribute. Any other attributes when you think about for folks listening, if they're trying to think, huh, like, does my company fit this mold of a potential good fit? What, what that looks like? And this could be whatever direction you want to take it. Maybe the companies are most often kind of series C companies or whatever criteria you, you want to use. I'm curious to, to hear. Yeah. So I have some general criteria and then I have some like finer cut criteria that is the actual mandate that they need to fit in order to apply. So the rougher kind of more general stuff would be a profile is where they have existing R&D. They have a patent. They have some IP around their tech and they built out a POC. This isn't just an idea and it isn't something where they're looking for VC capital to then build it or any seed capital to build it. They've already built it. They validated the model and MVP in the private market, let's say. Additionally, founders and the startup team shouldn't be in a hurry because remember, this is kind of like a, oh, we got some more funding, cool. But we can keep driving on to our mission instead. This is not like we're make or break depending on government funding. Our main application and MVP should be directed for the private market. But if we get some additional funding, it's great. Some people may not agree, but I would say you have a defined market vertical. You know, your, your TAM is slightly smaller and you have a very carved out niche in terms of your applicable market because your solution is very tailored to that market. I have seen a lot of success in terms of cybersecurity where the people build on like a lot of automation platforms and very specific minutia that let's say CISOs and CIOs would use, but it's for a very specific threat that will do great in the government market, in my opinion, because it's so tailored. So those are some broader perspectives on it. The more tailored ones that, again, I think are the the actual mandates for it, and some IP lawyers or anyone who listens to this that's a lawyer might disagree, but I know that they need to be incorporated in the United States. They need to be owned by US citizens. They should have at least 500 employees or fewer. Even with your, if you have VC funding, it's fine. You can have as much VC funding as you want but you actually need to have a a main project manager or founder that's from the United States. And that needs to be, it's, it's kind of goes in hand in hand with dealing with the government. Now I'm not hundred percent secure about that last point, but I do know that the origin needs from the US. So those are kind of the broad and the more specific attributes. So kind of at the high end 500 employees, and then just from your own experience, I know this may not be kind of set in stone criteria, but just from your experience of companies that have successfully gone through and engaged with the government through this SBIR program, what what's kind of like this minimum, right? Like you mentioned they needed MVP that's been tested in the private market, but is this like a company that is still seed stage that's had a couple, you know, proof of concepts with corporates that have gone decently well, or is this more kind of established companies where they've got a couple million bucks in revenue and this is just kind of another another thing that they're exploring? I think, to be honest, this is more geared towards entrepreneurs. I think it's geared towards companies that have validated their business model through maybe one or two contracts or intends to sell letters. But 
it's been validated at least once or twice or three times. It's got it. entrepreneurs okay. and innovators. Yeah. And I think the bigger deals like the underrolls or the more DOD centered companies that have doing very well, they'll do direct sales. They'll do direct sales and partnerships. And that's on a different level. But SBIR, I think, is purely for innovators. Sounds good. Thanks for walking us through that of kind of who's a potential good fit, who should be thinking about this program, maybe who should be uh, keep listening to the rest of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> now, now let's look at, tell us more about the actual process. You've told me before that it's broken down into a series of phases. Let's kind of dig into that a bit more. Yeah. So first off, the phase one deal size is between 150K to 200K. That's the phase one. And that's, I'll talk a little bit more about what that is. But um, phase two is 1 million plus. And these occur over, you know, months apart from phase one to phase two. And the average deal, and this is like, think of it as gates. You pass the phase one gate, you get some capital, you get a primary investigator, you're working with them. You've already tailored your application very specifically. You've, you know, because the, the government and the SBI are posting. And usually there's a lot of smaller organizations, even I'm in DC right now, that curate applications to meet all the legalities of it to then apply you pass that first gate in terms of like the investigating team and the SBIR, correct me for my wrong verbiage, but I think it's like the operating officer or the, the review officer will review it and see if you meet all those. And if there's a fit, an agency fit based on the agency that's asking, let's say it's the Department of Agriculture. They're looking for like a drone to do surveying. Like it fits all those things. They want to learn more. They want to go into the deal. They'll award between 150 to 200K, roughly, usually. And then phase two is you move forward with the POC. They like it. They want to work on development a little bit more, tailor it to that specific agency. That's phase two, and that can be 1 million plus. The average win rate for both of these phases, on average for phase one, is 15%. Then you move on to phase two, that's 50%. So you're looking at different metrics in terms of how successful. And 15%, this is pre-getting the phase one award. So it's like, it, it's very small in the sense that like, if I were advising founders, I'd be like, Keep applying, keep applying to SBIR announcements that you think relevant. Just keep it on deck and just like, don't care about it too much, but just keep it on deck. So those are the main phases I'll talk about a little bit more. So after posting the SBIR and occurring with phase one, it's roughly from four to 10 months. There's a pipeline agency need at first, like what starts this whole SBIR process, right? So the agency needs something. They need to fix something. So they'll ask for their team to come together and say, can we build this or should we put an SBIR for it? They do that. They run a search for this product, let's say. And then if they, they need the, they see a need, they submit it to their R&D team and they're like, Sir, sorry, we really need this. So then they go on to releasing this SBAR to the public if their R&D team can't find a solution. That takes about four to 10 months. And then after the submission of the phase one of the specific RFP and evaluation of it, which takes months again, not years though, the evaluation occurs and they then say, okay, we want to select this person for a phase one. Perfect. Then another four to 10 months passes from phase one, the, the continual discussions with the team and the sponsoring team, and they review the product, they review it, they evaluate the POC, they talk, they have continual talks with founders. And then that moves on to prototype funding for phase two. And phase two is more about building it out a little bit more, seeing if the POC can be tailored a little bit more. And then that leads on to phase three, which is where there's an actual purchase and buying of the solution. And that's where the company can get a guaranteed customer for the long term. Because for some products that I've seen, the government, if they really like it and they want to continue adding on, they'll just keep re-upping contracts. And that's what usually will come, a government purchasing contract, and they'll keep re-upping it if they need it. So that's 
I know I went kind of in details there, but that's kind of from a pipeline aspect, what it is and kind of how it functions. Got it. And so for phase one, as companies are thinking about this, if, if I'm trying to kind of visualize what this actually looks like, so they go on the SBIR website and yes. do they kind of set the equivalent of Google alerts for projects that would be relevant to them so that it gets flagged and then they submit an application, which would in some way, shape or form resemble like a traditional RFP. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly. Yeah, that's the idea. And remember, it's federal, yes, for SBIR, but now local and state are also dropping it too. And I don't know too much about this point, but I do know it exists. Some states have fund matching for SBIR and they match, like, let's say the state of Arkansas really wants to get some insight into this new like robot that does survey pipelining. They'll match up to what you're getting for a federal SBAR to sell to serve a federal agency, but they want it too. So they'll they'll match that as well. But no, no, it's it's very much like founders can set alerts. And I know there's there's a bunch of free solutions out there that can just give you a Google alert, let's say, or give you a this one fits your parameters. Boom, there you go. On my end, for as a 70 as an army officer working in innovation command, I'm the matchmaker. So I'm trying to both find points in the SBAR deal process, as well as the MVP and be like, hey, you guys should talk. Let me put you together. Let me see who I can tap on my end. It's it's kind of hard for me, but a matchmaker, I think we need more of them right now because everything is on the helm of this the entrepreneur saying, I'll check out SBIR. I'll look into it. But no one's going to tap them and be like, hey, we want your MVP. It'll just exist. And then it's up to them to look for it, which I think is a problem. But I think setting alerts, setting reminders, if you, it pops up and you think it's a good fit, just apply for it. You can't really get hurt in doing it. So that's kind of where I see it. And are these, you know, RFPs can get a bad reputation depending yeah. on your industry <laughs> because of how brutal and lengthy and arduous they are. And I think a lot of founders who go through it often get burned because they lose the RFP and don't get much, if any, feedback. And so it's yeah, that wasn't yeah. really learning from it. Give us, give folks listening just a, a sense. How intensive are these just sort of phase one applications and for folks that are that are submitting them? Yeah, they are pretty intense. And what I've seen founders do, I actually got to listen to a few folks who work on this side of curating applications. There's a lot of small startups and small, not agencies, but small consultants who will just do it for like a very small percentage of the win fee. And it's very small and it's it, founders are busy as it is. They're doing so right. many things. So you can definitely seek out some of these consultants versus hiring an attorney on retainer to do this. And that's just a quick win, in my opinion. They're cumbersome. They are totally, you're right, Evan. It's it's very cumbersome and very heavy and it's a, it's a government document. So like, it's just <laughs> like when you're applying for the, for like a, in USA jobs for a job, it's, you need to attach a resume and we want it to be five pages. And, and you're just like, why five pages? <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah. But it sounds like, but it sounds like for those that are trying to be scrappy, there are ways yeah. and folks in totally. the ecosystem that can help them do that. Totally. And it's getting more innovative too. Like I know more people are talking about this issue and we're trying to ramp up more innovation in government, especially in this new year. And there's more solutions coming out. So entrepreneurs can just get dinged when things, something comes out. There are more consultants and more services actually out there that allow them to just they'll convert their deck and their application into an SBIR application. So that's existing more. And that's starting to bubble up to the surface as the innovation ecosystem starts ramping up even further than it has. Cool. Yeah, it's really interesting here. I mean, this is a totally different side of the startup ecosystem. You know, it's been my days and weeks kind of thinking about and, and, yeah. and living in. So it's really interesting to, to learn more about and just and just how kind of big of a player in the ecosystem it is. So we've talked about phase one. We've talked about the application process. We've talked about who's kind of a good fit, what to expect. 
when when you get accepted, then do you actually start to kind of build out a, a POC with the government that you're working on? Is there just another kind of application layer that leads to phase two or kind of what actually happens in the interim? I, I'm not specifically sure, to be honest with you, in terms yeah, yeah. of what the relationship is, but I'm assuming I, I advise entrepreneurs and innovators to already have a POC going to maybe tailor the demo and to tailor it more a little bit based upon the RFP and the specifics of it. But I, I am assuming, and anyone who listens to this who's an expert on this could probably correct me, but I'm assuming that the discussion begins more with the primary investigator and the, the organization who posted it. And you say, you, you start the dialogue, just like in the sales process, you mm-hmm. know, start the dialogue with the client, see if this is what they want. How can you tailor the solution up? Is it on-prem or is it in the cloud? Or is it was an actual hard product that allows soldiers to drink more water directly through injection. I don't know. So it'd be something like that. And it, you just start discussing it more. And you say, what does this look like for implementation? What are your pain points? Because right now, I think customer validation in the government is very hard to do. You're just assuming a lot of things as a problem. And unless you've worked in government and then you're you consulting know. a startup, you don't know. Yeah. So I think this allows you to both get some capital and do customer validation at the same time. Got it. You know? so, so it sounds like the real kind of prototyping and prototyping development happens more in that phase two piece yes. of it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's a win-win. I mean, you're getting paid to do that from some extra revenue. I mean, you learn more about different types of customer problems and you get some capital doing it. And so you touched on phase two earlier. You mentioned this is this is obviously what comes next. There's a kind of a 50% win rate from phase one to get into phase two. This is kind of 1 million and up in terms of the actual capital invested. I shouldn't say invested, but sort of capital awarded Anything else that you want to touch on with phase two? Should we should we touch on kind of what happens next or what anything else there you want to add? Yeah, I mean, like I think phase two, it's still like the honeymoon phase. You're just trying to see if there's a fit and if it's there's long-term working relationship in the in the long run. I wanna preface this by I believe, at least through what I've seen in terms of the levels of bureaucracy and the pipeline that if you're working with a state or local agency, that pipeline is somewhat shrunk. This is totally an assumption, but I believe that that shrunken pipeline is beneficial too. And you could even, if it's a more like tech-centered plugged-in city, let's say it's in Austin, or if it's in LA or San Francisco or New York, that amount of capital might even match with what uh, the federal government is given. But I'd say that the phase two is more or less like, let's validate this product, let's build it and curate it specific to this problem that this agency has, and then let's assess whether or not there's a working relationship. And the phase three, I mean, I, I'm not, because I haven't, it's sad to say, but I haven't seen a startup that I've worked with or like looked at get to phase three. I know, you know obviously it exists, but I think that re-upping contracts with the government, I've seen that happen. And that contract keeps getting re-upped. Now, the issue I believe is that if you're doing business more or less with the government, of the United States, there becomes more legal issues surrounding your international partners, especially if you're working with the DOD. So that's something, and it's kind of an a priori kind of thing to consider, especially if you have more international clients, mm-hmm. because licensing will always be an issue, right? Licensing right. and compliance will always be an issue. But if you explore this route and you kind of talk to the PI primary investigator and the contracting officer and you say, what's the average deal size that I can be looking at for this if this goes through, they can give you a better picture based on their agency's budget. Because I, I believe, again, that the agency that they're putting it on for SBIR is sponsoring the SBIR in the in the whole thing, how much budget they're allocated through way, many different ways. But, but that's what I'm thinking so far. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and those are some good other considerations for folks to keep in mind as they think about 
you know, potentially pursuing this path is like there are, depending on yeah. the nature of your business, how international it is, what types of other clients you have, there could be conflicts there down the line. Definitely. And I like, again, for a takeaway for, for all the founders and entrepreneurs out there, I mean, I think just keep this in your bag of tools. You have your mentor network, you have your, your individual investors and your advisory board, but this is another source of revenue that if you can just tap into it, just drop in an app. It's not, it's not that cumbersome if you just have like a service that you can utilize, just do a little homework and then just be able to curate your application, drop it in or get, get a consultant. And there's a lot of them out there that'll just do this and take a very, very small cut of it. And just always keep this in your like back pocket, because I know people when dealing with the government, there's a lot of assumptions, but just go through the process just to validate it for yourself. That's my only thoughts about it. It's a good backdoor tool and, and it can provide some value in the long run. Yeah. It's if anything, it sounds like just doing the little bit of legwork to kind of set up the alerts, put it on your radar, at least keep your eye out if there is anything particularly relevant to the business where it could be a good fit, then right. get scrappy with utilizing folks that really know the system that, or maybe they take a small finder's fee, but instead you save hours and hours of work of actually yeah. putting together a proposal and then just seeing if it goes anywhere. Yeah. And, and if it does, great. And you might get, sounds like even over a million dollars in, in extra capital that's non-dilutive to the business and explore a whole nother kind of potential customer profile. Yeah. And I, again, like I think entrepreneurs and innovators should be focusing on commercial application only, never build directly for the government. That's the no-no in my opinion. I mean, yeah. you can, but I think it's just, you're going to get pretty sad pretty quick. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, uh, or run out of money before anything happens, run right? Yeah. Exactly. Your yeah. runway is, is, can be hugely shrunk if it just hits some bureaucratic timeline. Yeah, so. totally. And you mentioned, so you, you, you know, you've touched on kind of agriculture in a couple examples. You've mentioned cybersecurity, obviously very top of mind. You mentioned DOD is a major player here. Are there any other kind of sectors or industries that you think are particularly well-suited or could sort of have a leg up when it comes to SBIR, who, if there are founders in those sectors listening, you're like, you should definitely be doing this. Yeah, I know that in robotics, that's a huge area right now, especially for DOD application. That's very big. I mentioned cyber and like applications of blockchain. I know by far, like I can say that the Air Force is the most forward driven branch in this sector. Like they know good acquisitions. They know what to buy. They're skilled in it. Us in the other branches, we're, st we're still, we're getting up there, but the Air Force by far, in my opinion, is like setting the standard and we're trying to follow them and, and get shared practices. But I'd say, of course, cyber and information security, IS, that's huge. Anything in the informatics and like data analysis sectors are big. I wouldn't say fintech, to be honest, right now. I don't see a lot of application of that. I, again, could be wrong because there's so many announcements out there, but um, I don't see fintech a lot. There I was, what I look at is also healthcare devices specifically. That's another key area that I think could be applicable geospatial mapping, like in terms of DOD application is big. And then like, actually, yeah, that's all I can really think of off the bat right now, but they, they logistics. Oh yeah. Supply chain and logistics. That's going to be huge, especially because a lot of supply chains for traditional businesses are changing. Right. Uh, the government needs to change as well. So right. those are some key areas as well that founders who are in those spaces should consider that they're, they have, the, the government has room for it. And and to consider those kind of different verticals. So let's shift gears a little bit, Sam. So we've talked about SBIR. We've kind of walked through what that process looks like, who might be a good fit for it, high level, really what to expect and, and some different efficiencies people can leverage to, to make it lighter weight. Let's switch gears a little bit and touch on the sure. other avenue that, that, you, that you mentioned in the beginning, yeah. which is direct selling. 
Yeah. Maybe let's set the stage direct selling. We can maybe touch on kind of similar questions in terms of what kind of process people should expect as well as who should really consider this as an avenue, maybe as well, even like how to think through the different layers of like, of narrowing in on your own sort of government ideal profile. Should I be going after federal? Is it state more? Is there more local application? Um, Happy to start kind of wherever you want as, as we're trying to unpack the direct selling piece. So let me start by saying kind of where I see, this is again, through Sam's eyes, what I'm seeing things are going to move. I think that, so when I do my scouting, I'm looking at, you know, I know CES is now digital. Black Hat is probably digital. Major conferences where startups have like a startup alley, an innovation alley, they'd usually be tabling there. These conferences, these and, and hackathons that exist now that early founders are able still to get access to if they have only seed capital or type of like showcases where incubators are showing them off. That is where also government scouts are going. I, at least from the DOD perspective, that's me as a scout. I'm looking in those areas to try and build relationships with founders. And that's what I'm seeing. Now, that would be a good place to live. And if you're a founder right now, you're probably already living there. But I think if you're now, you have a sales team and you're geared up a little bit and you want to do some more, some targeting, you maybe you have some SDRs, you have a manager, you're ready to do some, some groundwork. I'd say from start from the state and local area. Like, let's say, I mean, it's a cybersecurity company, right? And I, I can speak to this because I, I worked in sales in a cybersecurity company. So building relationships with local CISOs, local, you're, you're going to get it from when you source their, their contact info from whatever sourcing application you use, discover org, yada, yada. But when you actually build a relationship with them or reach out to maybe a city's innovation arm, like for San Francisco, the mayor's office of civic innovation, where they do seek out partnerships to kind of bring in startups that offer maybe data solutions, building relationships with them is a starting point. Now, going in, realizing that it's going to be a conversation is something that you need to remember. It's going to be a conversation and it's a long, long sale to even get to a demo. But they do have, you know, data storage needs. They do have maybe fintech applications. They do have even broadband solutions that they need for their, their wireless network that they're starting to roll out. More cities are starting to roll out. So I'd say a good starting point is, yes, plug into your hackathons, your incubator showcases, your demo days, plug into that. But also plug into finding who the POCs are in the government that would, on a local level first, that would be involved in it based upon what your product MVP is, what service you're bringing. Because the local government might be a great buyer and they'll intro you if not. Usually the people that I've seen that are working in innovation for cities are doing great work and they're very excited about tech and new technology. And they'll be happy to intro you if it's not a good fit for the organization, in my opinion. Actually, I don't know if they can do that, but I don't know, <laughs> in terms of legally. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I'm pretty sure off the record, they'll talk to you and give you some feedback. And then from the state perspective, I think that's a little bit harder reach, in my opinion. Some state agencies do have SBIR, but for specific their state. And they'll usually have it on a state website where founders can search for it based upon which state they're in right now with your... If you're in California, there's tons. Um, but if you're in some middle states as well, there's tons as well. So you just got to do the research and reach out to some of these folks. If you're trying to talk to them, have your sales team just ping them once and say, hey, can we show you a demo? We think there's a really good application here. And that's how the conversation begins, just like a traditional sale, I feel. But the pipeline and the qualification of it for the POC to the licensing and the compliance may take a while. But right. that's what I've seen happen. I mean, the cybersecurity company that I work for did a lot of things in Colorado, um, in Boulder even. And it... it it took a long time, but in a lot of nudging a little bit to say, hey, can we show this to you? But that is how it is. That's how it works. And government 
agencies as well as the individuals who work in it might be tied to their budgets, but they'd be willing to explore a little bit and say, hey, well, we'll set a marker down the road for us to talk again. And that's where your sales team can re-engage. But just the long-term nurturing process is somehow from a direct sale perspective, you have to go. Got it. So if I'm trying to kind of compare this a little bit to, to our discussion on SBIR, SBIR, there were some simple tips there of kind of set it and forget it, wait till the right time. You can be very tactical and 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 kind of choosy with, with which ones you want to apply for. Yeah. And there was really kind of no downside really to at least having it on your radar. With direct mm-hmm. selling, and this is kind of common sense, but it's it's much more deliberate and intentional, time intensive to some degree. And you kind of need to have a good sense of whether this is going to have real government applications or not to determine whether you want to spend the time to start investing in those relationships because of the long lead time. And you, you mentioned you can start with certain local and state innovation offices and going to certain networking events to start building up some of these relationships, but that the sale is obviously going to take longer even to get that first POC. That, that's, that seems to be some of the big picture kind of takeaways if I'm trying to unpack some of that. Yeah, 100%. And I think that on that point, a lot of these people that you're doing direct sale to don't know what they don't know. They don't know that this solution might exist because they're probably not out there prospecting for it. Not necessarily. Some might be, but mostly, most of the time they're not. You have to go to them and show them what you have and at least entertain them and network with them in a legal way in the sense that you're not just sourcing names and doing a GDPR violation. You're just actually talking with them through a warm connection maybe or you, you find them on an office and it's their information is listed there and you can contact them. And because you think that there is an actual application, you actually know you're not just sending it out because you think the government might be a buyer. You actually can see an application for it. Right. And again, as I mentioned, like some sites, so some states will have their own SBIR. Some, they'll, they'll post it and that'll be a good place to start. But if not, you're kind of hitting the ground running and you're just pinging the right people that you are strategically thinking would be a buyer. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and you know, I, I would hope founders when they're thinking about their company and their product and what they're solving for will already have a sense of is this in the realm of like something i'd want to sell to the government like you already mentioned a bunch right but it seems like a lot of similar industries as sbir data storage like some of these are just sort of very obvious applications like government is going to care about these things and and if we have the bandwidth internally, should should explore that as a potential avenue. Are there any are there any kind of other gotchas that people should look out for, or at least be aware of when it comes to directly selling into the government? I think the licensing and the compliance is the biggest gotcha. So what, let, let's go a little bit deeper on that. Yeah, I think, and I'm not. <laughs> I keep saying I'm not a lawyer, but uh, the IP and the usage of a product by the government has to meet a lot of specific licensing like deltas before it can be accepted. Like there's a lot of priority like requirements that need to be met first, licensing, the thing about foreign governments. On a local and state level, I like to believe that there's a little bit flexibility, but licensing and how the government uses it is key. The the billing and invoicing structure based on if you have a service or subscription business, let's say that will be in my experience curated based on who you're talking to on the government side. I know on the corporate side, you're working on it with them, especially if they're like a major, let's say financial institution. But on the government side, I think the billing structure and the like the cost structure that you're charging them for the product, that 
takes time too. The pipeline for government, regardless, will be long. It will be long. It'll be arduous, but I believe it pays off. Because it's um, sticky, it sounds like. Sticky. If you can get in the door, yes. then then it's going to, as long as you don't screw things up, they're likely to keep going with you. Yeah, 100%. There's, there's, there's a lot of stickiness to the market. And it's just the compliance piece does take a long time to get through. And that's why having maybe your legal team or maybe your advisory board take a look at some of these things and tap into their contacts as you're moving along in the pipeline that couldn't hurt at all. So that's the only big gotcha that I have. I mean, definitely shouldn't deter entrepreneurs and innovators for telling their sales teams to start going after some of these bigger fish because it can pay off. But just go in with the mentality that this is going to be a long pipeline. It might not work. It might not work. We're going to continue our commercial acquisition targets and our sales targets for the commercial sector. But we're going to still, since we have time, we might just see if we can reel a couple of fish in on the government side. And it sounds like starting with that kind of state and local level is also a way to at least kind of, even though it's still going to be a long process, it's going to be faster than the federal piece and could potentially, if all goes well, help lead to some of those federal level conversations. Exactly. No, totally. Cool. Well, Sam, we've dove deep on this. It's been really fun chatting through it. Something, a topic I, you know, before learning from you knew nothing about. Are there any final thoughts, tips, tricks that you want to leave folks with to summarize? Yeah, I I think that, so like, let's just do three. I think the good three takeaways, I think one being for SBIR, do set up some alerts because you can do it and dig into it, do a Google search. There's a lot of different orgs that exist that are trying to bridge this innovation gap that the government has, especially for the DOD and for just general agencies within the government. The DOD innovation community that I'm a part of is huge. The Air Force is leading the way, but because there's more people getting into it, there's more ways to track SBAR, more ways for innovators to just easily apply and that'll be that. The application process for phase one, yes, it's cumbersome, but there's a lot of entities and organizations and applications and software that can help ease that to make it like a very simple process. And these people know what they're doing. They're subject matter experts, so they can help you. And the time that you'd have to do it, you can just pass it on to them. They can apply and moderate it for you. So you have that going on the side and you're focusing mainly on your, your, you know, your quarterly sales goals through commercial applications. So that's one. Two. For the federal and direct sales side, you know, find some champions. I'd say find people who are willing to rally for you. I know for the Army, we're looking for companies that fits the mold of what we want based upon our needs. And we become kind of a champion for them. We connect them to the right people, and then we let them go from there. That champion is very important because finding these connections on your own as a founder or entrepreneur is tough. So if you think that there is a DOD application, you can try and contact some of these innovation organizations in the branches. If you think it says you have like maybe a a ground penetrating radar that can detect IEDs, maybe, or you're using it for mining, but you want to use it also for the army, try and reach out to army futures command, try and reach out to some of these applications there, go in with the mentality that I meet these qualifications that we discussed about having founders originated here, less than 500 employees, but we do have a POC. We have a working product that we've been demoing. I think the government would be a great person to talk to. And I, you probably already know that if you're building this type of product. And then the last thing is, I think don't put too much stress into it. That's the biggest takeaway. This is a hard, arduous application process, just like medical device companies or medical companies that are getting FDA approval. They usually have lawyers on retainer that are reviewing this. I mean, I don't think you need to get a lawyer for the SBIR. I think you can just get a consultant, but don't put too much brain space in it. Use it in your pocket and use it as a nice 
to have, but don't put so much investment in it. Focus on your commercial goals, but just know that there's this side carrot or side treasure that can be tapped into, but it's not a be all end all in any circumstance. Great. Well, Sam, thank you so much for, for all that. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Evan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next week. 